Welcome back to Cinema Adventure, where a movie podcast for all of your movie needs. I'm Aiden Walker. And I'm Blake Peterson. And you didn't expect that intro today, did you? That was a little much. I wasn't prepared for that. <laughs> it was nerve-wracking. Listen, I'm just so excited because this is the last episode of our podcast that we're doing in 2017. Oh, I didn't even realize that. What do yeah. you know? I don't, also just don't know anything. I feel like I show up and I'm like, Aiden, what are we talking about today? <laughs> it's all just a surprise. And I get to fill you in. It's just yeah. a wonderful journey. We, we love it. It's we like stand. It's like a wonderful present that I leave for you under the tree oh, every wow. time you arrive and you get to unwrap it. <laughs> It's truly a treat. I couldn't ask for more. <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking about today, Blake? Um, today we're talking about the 1954 Christmas classic, White Christmas, directed by Michael Curtiz. I think they should call this movie Don't Fall in Love with Other Performers and Also There's Some Christmas Here. Wow. That's very catchy. I think they should have considered that I before think there's, calling it. <laughs> I think it's a little presumptuous yeah. for them to put the words white and Christmas in the title of this movie when yeah. less than 1% of the movie is that. I think it'd be better to call it, instead of White Christmas, it's like a longer title, and it's like White Christian and Straight Christmas, because it is very <laughs> just classic. Oh, my gosh. No diversity. They could call it White Christian and Straight Christmas. P.S. We love the Army so much. Thank you, everybody who was in World War II. You did a very good job. Wow. That's like even longer than like Fiona Apple's second album or like Dr. Strangelove. That full title something. But yeah, these are all good titles. I wish we could go back in time. I think everyone involved is dead. I feel like we could yeah, probably keep dead. workshopping it. It could just like be a special episode of our podcast where instead of <laughs> just... talking about the movie, we try to come up with new titles for the movie. And the plot twist is they're all terrible. Like not one of the titles <laughs> is good. <laughs> oh, I thought you were referring to the characters in this movie. Oh, was I? I'm yeah, sorry. I, was... I, I mean, that was my interpretation. I think there's I about one character in this movie with a sound moral compass. I think just about everybody else is... Um, uh, Rosemary Clooney. <laughs> I feel like I just like when I'm like, wait, who are you? Is there anyone? I feel like <laughs> they kind of did. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, man. no, Rosemary Clooney, truly yeah. an icon of Rosemary and being George Clooney's aunt. Is that who she is? Yeah, man. I thought the Clooney was just like tangentially related. No, she, They're actually related? Yeah, she was the reason why he wanted to act because she was such an inspiration. That wasn't even a fun fact that I wrote down. I just... That's pretty fun. I feel show. like it's fun. I think it's impossible to do a plot summary of this movie. So much happens. I, yeah. I feel like it's the gist of it. It's like one of those showbiz movies where the whole point is like, we're going to put on a show and save this failing business. And then there's like a long conflict wherein someone like eavesdrops on part of a conversation and then mishears like, what's going on it and then sets the film off course for like 25 minutes. But that's basically... I and mean, that's at the very end of the movie. Yeah. It's pretty formulaic. It's just like that standard story that's like elongated by song and dance numbers and then that conflict and stuff. I can go over a few of the main characters just so yeah, we can kind of bring it, bring it together. <laughs> so there's Bob Wallace mm. and Phil Davis, who are played by Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye, respectively. And they are both... Would you say, are they vaudeville performers? Is that what that's called? I guess. I don't know if like one is considered a vaudeville performer... In the 40s. But I think, yeah, they're, like, comparable in spirit. They dance. They and they dance. sing. They and they wear crisp suits. <laughs> uh, and they have an act. Then there's two women who also have a similar dancing, singing act. And their characters' names are Betty Haynes and Judy Haynes and their sisters. And they were played by Rosemary Clooney and Vera Ellen, respectively. 
Mm, love that word, respectively, it's this a good, episode. It's a good word. <laughs> I'm just, I'm trying it out Huge today. Fan. So <laughs> the two groups meet each other, kind of fall in love with each other, and mm. there's this entanglement of relationships, except not really. It's just like one performer likes one performer <laughs> and one performer likes the other performer. There's no triangle or quadrangle happening I wish. here. That would be so messy. I, it would be really messy. I think <laughs> the movie would be more fun for it. Oh, way more fun. Yeah. So they, <laughs> and... they go on vacation together after running away from the police for some reason. Yeah, well, I think it was like, was it like Vera and, wait, when I say her name, am I supposed to say Ellen also, or can I just say? I think you're on the first name basis. Because is she like, it's confusing because she's not like like Madonna, because Madonna has no hyphen, but then like Mary Kate Olsen has a hyphen, but like. Vera Ellen does have the hyphen. Yeah. Maybe should you should call respect. her Ellen is like, use Maybe that you as should the respect name. the hyphen. Should I just call her Hyphen? Like, I don't... <laughs> oh, man. Hey, Hyphen, what's I think, up? I think go for Vera, okay. Vera Ellen. Yeah. <laughs> I thought they got in trouble because, like, they weren't paying their rent or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. that's what it was, and they were and like... And for some reason, the police decided that they needed to show up because like, of that. guess what, Vera and Rosemary, you're out of here. And, and so they had to leave. Very sad. So they jumped through a window, as aided <laughs> by Bob Wallace and Phil Davis, and mm. the two of them, the four of them, get on a train, and they head for the mountains because they're going to go skiing. Sure. That's true. Then they end up at a lovely ski lodge owned by a man named um, Major General Thomas Waverly. Yes, who and used to be. Oh, you're probably about to say yeah, this. Yeah, he, he used to be. Uh, <laughs> I'm just sliding in. Yeah, he, he used to be the general of Bob Wallace and Phil Davis because at the very beginning of the movie, they're in the army in World War II being bombed and also singing the song White Christmas. It's a very interesting scene. <laughs> Anyway, so they end up there, and he's, they, they meet the general again, and they're kind of confused because for some reason generals like can't get good jobs, apparently, and it's really disgraceful, and they don't really go into that. They're just like, yeah, generals, they can't get jobs. They actually have a whole song about it. They sing a whole oh, song yeah, about how if you're a general, you're out of luck for getting a job <laughs> after being in the army. Um, rats. But all the privates can get jobs for some reason, it's confusing. Anyway, um, so they, they get there and they see how sad the general is because he owns this beautiful ski lodge and nobody comes to it. So they I, decide. I feel bad for him, okay. Okay. So they <laughs> decide. No they, there is no snow. That is true. So they decide that they're going to bring all of their army buddies from the surrounding area and they're going to do a big old performance and they're not going to tell the general about it until it happens. And they yeah. have to keep it under wraps and keep it a big secret so that when they finally do the performance for him, he'll feel real good. Yeah. And it's like going lit, whatever. And then the general's like, what is she like? His his secretary? Anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like Bing Crosby's like on the phone because he's like trying to get television involved. Because I guess he's, he trying, just, he's trying to do a, a late night appearance. He just has that power, you know. So he's like calling them. And then like they're having like a normal conversation. And then she like picks up the phone. To eavesdrop because like phones do that back then where you can like hear the other lines. And, and I think like, the justification for it in the movie is, hey, it's 1952 and there's nothing to do. Also, yeah, and she's like developed as this kind of colorful character, so it's like not out of character that she would be nosy. But she picks up the phone like right as the guy at, like NBC or whatever station it is is like, we're gonna make this really sappy and we're gonna really kind of is talking about how he's gonna like really play just really heighten the schmaltz and make it kind of silly. And so it seems really disrespectful of the general. And she hangs up before being Crosby can be like, we're not going to do that to the general. Like, he deserves better. We're going to treat this 
as organically as possible. <laughs> yeah, she mishears and like thinks that Bing Crosby's like being manipulative or whatever, and then she tells Rosemary Clooney, and then Rosemary Clooney like messes everything up for like half an hour of just like this misunderstanding, which I feel like she could just be like this is out of character for you, Bing. Like, did you really say this? And then he'd be like, no. Hey, and then it hey would be Bing? fine. Hey, Bing. Hey, Bing. Mr. Bing. <laughs> I'm Chandler. sorry, Bing. Can you calm down? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. But, you know, as characters, they never do this in these kinds of movies. And so very drawn out conflict. And then it all wraps up with a nice group singing of White Christmas. There's also a little touching tribute to the general as well as veterans in general. I loved how, like, I said the word general twice in that sentence, but it meant two different things. That's very good. Isn't that crazy word how language play. works? And then all of the main characters fall in love and kiss each other at the end. Mm, and it's it. a happy Merry Christmas to, <laughs> the, to them. What did you think of this movie, Aiden? I'm curious. I think this movie didn't need to be two hours long. Retweet. I was watching <laughs> it. I'm like, this is so long. Like, for me, it was honestly, like, the conflict. I'm like, this is taking so, like, first of all, I don't feel like they really needed it that badly. But I guess it is, like, so feather-light. They're like, oh, we have to do something. It's so drawn out. And I think that it also... It's, like, so formulaic for the most part. And it doesn't... It's, like, not super witty or funny either. So it just feels like very square formula to me. I agree. I wouldn't... Yeah, the the characters just kind of what is it that that problem? It's like stupid character issue where people never talk to each other and let exactly. each other finish sentences or explain. It's just like, but if you take thirty more seconds to kind of say, <laughs> oh, this is what's happening, then the other person will be like, oh, well, then that's fine. I don't mm. know why I'm being a yeah. jerk, idiot, dummy yeah. right now. <laughs> but but that happens multiple times. It's like somebody misunderstands something, and then the other people are like, oh, I guess they're just they just don't understand me. Oh, poor sad Bing Crosby. My eyes are. So big. Wow. Don't worry, listeners. The characters don't talk like that. They don't talk like in that. The movie. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah. No, but I, I don't know. Like, I can see where this movie is charming because, I mean, it is, it is one of those movies where, like, you're very aware of its cliches and its tropes, but it still does wing you over for the most part. And I think a lot of that has to do with, like, how good the dancing is, how good the songs are. This movie, all the songs are written by Irving Berlin, who's, you know, one of the biggest musical composers of that time. You have, obviously, White Christmas like the classic holiday song in here and so you know so much of it like that stuff is like very high quality and so like that always makes you feel good to watch the sort of talent displayed but i feel like everything that's not the song and dancing stuff is like pretty boring for the most part yeah it depends parts of the movie are kind of fun but i agree for the most part like mm -hmm. it's all about just the dance numbers which yeah. are spectacular they're and great. colorful and they're fun and really well choreographed and you can tell that there's a lot of talent involved there, oh for sure so. yeah and i think the movie too like it does play really well too like what the strengths of these actors are like i feel like so like vera ellen i feel like in general these actors are all pretty boring no offense but she she's very boring she reminds me a lot of sid Charisse, who was another dancer turned actress who is such a boring actress, but is such a phenomenal dancer that you're like, you know what? It's fine. So I think that's a good example, but she's so good in all of her dance sequences that you kind of forgive it. And like, same with Rosemary Clooney. Like, I don't think she's super strong as an actress. She wasn't in a lot of stuff. I think she was primarily a stage actress. But I mean, she she's like a great singer, great crooner. So you have a lot of good scenes of her just kind of having these solos. But yeah, and then like, same with Crosby, also boring. Definitely doesn't have, like Frank Sinatra, I feel like is a really great actor as well as a great singer, whereas Bing Crosby, like, he's an okay actor, even though his voice is amazing as a singer. And then Danny Kaye, I think, has the issue, like, a lot of comedians of the era have, where, like, back then they're very funny and stand out really well, but here 
he just seems like very dated and almost too old for the part too. But even in like the movie through its musical sequences, like really shows what they're capable of, even when the storyline does not. Yeah, I think Danny Kaye serves as pretty good um, comedy relief, at least. He's yeah. he's definitely slapstick. He's yeah. super slapstick, which is odd against the backdrop of the rest of the movie because mm. it's kind of serious. Yeah, but even then, like, I felt like, I don't know, I kept, because I had read that Donald O'Connor, who co-starred in Singing in the Rain, was originally cast in Kay's part, and I just kept thinking how much better. I mean, I also am, like, a huge Singing in the Rain stan, so I just kept thinking about how much better this movie would be if... Gene Kelly and Donald O'Connor were those characters. If, like, Stanley Don directed, like, I kept, like, having all these, like, what-if moments that kind of, like, ruined the movie a bit. So I just kept thinking, like, I don't know, because I feel like Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye, they're both, they're both pretty old. Like, they're in their 40s, so they're kind of lumbering in these parts that I feel like would be better suited to younger actors. I mean, Gene Kelly was their age, but, like, he's so physically, like, elastic and, like, is so capable of doing so much that he seems younger than he is. Do I think the movie would have been improved by that do you know how old rosemary Clooney and vera ellen were in this film oh here's a fun fact right here uh vera ellen was 33 and then rosemary Clooney was 26 so they're significantly younger yeah even though rosemary Clooney plays the older sister she's like way younger than vera ellen so yeah they're also both a lot younger than their male co-stars which is you know a common occurrence yeah in hollywood it was pretty obvious in this one though which was like yeah, it just yeah, creeped me out. It really is. No, it's so common. Like, funny face, you have, like, Fred Astaire match with Audrey Hepburn, and that's a 30-year age gap. And Ugh. then Bogey and Bacall, obviously, like, 25-year age gap. So kind of a gross, Ugh. gross thing. Yeah, but. I mean, I was I was most creeped out by Bing Crosby in this film in his interactions with Rosemary Clooney when he's, like, really trying to hit on her, and she's she has just heard the news from the eavesdropped conversation and she yeah. doesn't really trust him anymore and every time he's like oh come on like it's okay like you can still like me yeah yeah, yeah. he <laughs> always like leans over on the table and like touches her hands yeah and i really i really did not like that just i did like, not like that i also all. like don't i just don't find bing crosby very charming compared to a lot of singer turned actors of that era i don't know he just seems very old here and like he looks i mean this isn't his fault but he also like kind of looks weird because like the vista vision photography like it makes everything look like outlined in blue and like brings out weird colors. And so his yeah. eyes are really creepy because of the photography. Yeah. And yeah, his yeah. lips look like pink. Like, I don't know, he looks like a weird doll. I wanted no to talk offense. about I wanted to talk about Vista Vision actually, because mm. I was I was reading about it. It's pretty interesting. Did you did you jump when when you first see the general in the hotel? His hair looks blue. Like, I didn't even did notice. you notice that? Yeah, like he's just this gray-haired man. Yeah. But from when it's up close, it looks gray. But when uh-huh. he was, it was kind of like a medium shot or a long shot of him. Dude looked like David Lynch <laughs> when he had blue hair. Terrifying. Yeah, it was a lot. I was like, does this retired army general from World War II have blue hair? This movie is ridiculous. And then it got closer. I was like, okay, now that must be an effect of the photography. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you with a fun fact before we go into the oh, real wow. fun facts about VistaVision. So it was VistaVision was a high resolution widescreen format. It's like a variant of 35 millimeter. It's sim- similar to CinemaScope. It was a reaction to it. You thrown up at CinemaScope? I hate CinemaScope so much. Wow. Well, it's so wide and then it's so thin. Like you don't feel like you're seeing anything. But anyway, continue. <laughs> it's yeah, it, it was a reaction to CinemaScope. <laughs> it was so here's the thing about VistaVision. Wasn't a lot, it wasn't around for a very long time, probably because it made people have blue hair. <gasps> um 
It was dropped after seven years because, well, actually, it wasn't because it made people have blue hair. It was because <laughs> they they started making finer grained, better film. Yeah. The format is was still used occasionally, even through the 70s. They used it for most of the uh, for special effects work. Mm. So they used VistaVision for all the special effects shots of like miniatures and stuff on Star Wars. Oh, okay. Um, films like that. So this division was still did have a use in some capacity, which is kind of cool. Yeah. But yeah, that's my fun fact. This division. Yeah, I'm like surprised. I didn't realize it was filmed in this division, and I feel like I this like, was the first movie to be filmed in this division. Yeah, and it was like first one, first one for Paramount. So it was like a big deal. It's weird because I have a really good association with it because they used this division to film To Catch a Thief, the Alfred Hitchcock movie from 1955. Oh, that makes sense. And then the 1957 Funny Face, the movie I mentioned earlier with Audrey Hepburn and Fred there. And those movies are like visually stunning. So it's like I have this association with like Visavision makes for beautiful movies. Like why didn't they use it a lot? And then you see it in this, and then it's like, oh, this looks really ugly. So it's like a weird. I think when it's used properly, it can look really nice. But when used kind of poorly, like it is in this one, it isn't so great. Well, Blake, why don't you hit us with some fun facts, <laughs> and then it. after that, we can talk some more about visuals. Great. This movie, obviously, it was a lot of people consider it to be a sequel to Holiday Inn, which was a 1942 movie with Bing Crosby and Fred Astaire. It isn't a sequel, even though it is often perceived to be. When they made this movie, it was intended to reunite Crosby and Fred Astaire for like their third Irving Berlin showcasing musical. But like Astaire at the time was like considering retiring, and he didn't really like the script that much. So he was like, not doing this. And then Crosby. Like, when he heard that Astaire didn't want to do it, he also backed out. So, like, for a while, like, the project was supposed to happen, and then it just didn't for a little while. But it also wasn't helped by the fact that Crosby's wife had just died, so he was trying to kind of readjust. So, like, before this movie, it was coming off this kind of tumultuous pre-productional period. And then I already mentioned Donald O'Connor was supposed to take Astaire's place once it was decided that they were going to continue with shooting. Which is like a bummer because I feel like he would be so good in the Danny Kaye role. But he had to drop out because of illness and then Danny Kaye jumped in who wanted a salary of $200,000, which is a lot in 1954. And also 10% of the gross. And this was a huge box office hit. So Danny Kaye made a lot of bank by doing this movie. I feel like those are more background than fun facts. But here is the real fun facts, I guess. So Rosemary Clooney in later years said that the reason she took on the role was basically just to perform with Bing Crosby. She didn't have like a huge interest in making movies, but because she knew he was involved, she was like, gotta do this. He's a legend. Danny Kaye, because he was such a jokester, he would like make people laugh constantly by like improvising his lines so they had to reshoot a ton of stuff and then rosemary clooney also considered her solo love you didn't do right by me is like her quote-unquote song because it was like her only solo in the movie and was like one of the souls that defined her career so she really enjoyed that and then according to her again bing crosby and danny k's sister's performance was not actually in the script they were just like joking around i guess behind the scenes and when director Michael Curtiz like saw it, he thought it was really funny and thought it could be a really good addition. And so the shot that you they only like shot it a couple times, but they couldn't get one that didn't find Crosby like laughing out loud because he was so amused by what was going on. So the one you see in the movie, I think it was only like the second take. And they just went with that, thought it was funny. And that is a good scene, so glad they threw that in there. Vera Ellen didn't actually sing any of her songs, and her parts were actually dubbed a lot of the time by Rosemary Clooney. Or 
Trudy Stevens, but mostly Clooney. And then if you notice, like, Vera Ellen's neck is constantly covered in the movie, like, with a scarf or, like, turtleneck, which is, like, a weird thing. But it was actually because she, throughout her career, suffered from an eating disorder, and so her neck had been, like, ravaged by the effects of, like, bulimia or anorexia. So. And so even though when this was released, it received, like, pretty good reviews and great box office. Bosley Crowther, who I feel like is a film critic who I usually disagree with because he's, like, a conservative, no-fun critic. But I actually agree with him this time because he said that this movie doesn't always hit the eardrums or the funny bone with equal force. So that's kind of true in my opinion. So, But those are my fun facts. Like, they weren't great, but I had a lot of background. So, Thank you. Thank yeah, you you're welcome. Fun facts. <laughs> Wonderful. I tried. If you want to talk about how this movie looks a little more, I feel like there's more <laughs> we could say. Yeah. No, I feel like, I don't know, this movie's a little bit, like, garish to me. Like, I don't feel like it's very visually nice. I felt a little reductive of, like, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes to me because that movie is very well known for being really odd with its coloring. Like, the really famous Diamonds Are Girls Best Friend sequence juxtaposes these really bright hot pinks with scarlet reds and black and, like, these weird colors, but it looks really cool and kind of... It was really innovative at the time where it's like, this one does a similar thing with how it looks like it has kind of a similar combination with this one minstrel number, which I'd like to talk about later. But then there's like one where Danny Kaye dresses up as a mime and like, there's just all these random colors and costumes and it's very, I don't know, it just looks really weird to me. Yeah, it's like, uh, I guess to make a contemporary reference, it's like the ending sequence in La La Land where they run through all yeah. the movie sets and it's just like color after color after color and it doesn't always go together, but they never that's, go together. I mean, that's kind of the movie. point. Yeah. But like, yeah, in this one, they never go together. It's always no. really, really one really strong primary color and then some kind of secondary color that kind of yeah. doesn't fit with it. So it's a lot of like the mime scene, I think is mostly yellow. Yeah. And, and that one's just weird like to look at. Really yellow. Yeah. And then that's the gross. minstrel one is oh, super red. Yeah. And I kind of the... like the colors of that one though a little bit more, but yeah. nothing really goes together, and it makes it feel kind of kitschy. Like it does. <laughs> you feel like they they think it looks really good, but it actually just looks very dated for the most part. Because like before the minstrel number, it says like minstrel whatever, and I got so freaked out because the original Holiday Inn is like known or like Holiday in the movie that's like considered to be the predecessor. It's kind of widely known for being racist because it has this sequence where the performers, they do the number in blackface. The song's like about how like black people are like indebted to Abraham Lincoln and it's so cringy and awful. So then when I saw like minstrelness and like, oh no, like we're gonna have to relive this. And like also when I told people I was watching it, they were like, oh, that racist holiday movie. So I was like, great. This whole sequence is really problematic because it's romanticizing and like rhapsodizing the minstrel art form, which was blackface basically. Luckily, no one in the movie does blackface, but because it does romanticize it, it's a little bit uncomfortable even though the sequence is like a lot of great dancing, a lot of great singing. It's just like there's this whole idea that they are making light of something that was really, really bad. How did you, did you feel the same when you watched it? You know, I didn't even catch on to that. Really? Yeah. No, I was I was spaced out. I think part of it had to do with the length of the film, and I was just kind of wrapped up in a blanket on my, my Ikea Poang chair going, mm. just drinking tea and trying to get through it. You know, I started this film when it was still light outside, and it was oh. fully dark, and I, had all, I hadn't turned on any lights in my uh, room, so it was fully dark by the time I was done, and... Yeah, uh, I, it kind of went over my head. I think that that was the reference that was being made. But I'm grossed out now that you've yeah. explained it. No, um, I yeah. only think I only know about because I just took like a music class like last quarter, and like we went we talked a lot about minstrel and 
at the time, you know, like Al Jolson was considered. Can you, like, I'm sorry. Great. Can you explain what that even means? Like what that is? Minstrel show is just basically vaudeville, wherein like a white performer just sings and dances while doing blackface, and they're like playing on like exaggerated black stereotypes of the time, and it's like very very racist. Although a lot of minstrel performers like Jolson, they thought that they were actually being socially conscious, and they were like celebrating black people, which they weren't. They were like mocking them and like just playing up to stereotypes that the public had. At the time, I don't think people realized just how like oppressive and problematic it was. So I think this movie shows that it can be jarring because like every once in a while with movies that were made almost a century ago, you will have something that's like racially sensitive or maybe is like questionable in how it portrays, you know, like gender politics. And so when things like this show up, you're like, Oh, wow, like everything's not as picture picture perfect as you think it is. <laughs> Thank you for explaining that to me. I, mean, I, <laughs> I feel like I've I, I mean, I, I, I went totally over my head <laughs> while I was watching. I, I just, I guess I was so distracted by the garish look of everything. I was, that yeah. scene is so red that I was like, whoa, this is crazy. Look at all those yeah. outfits. I didn't, I, no, I love how that I scene went looks. right over my head. <sighs> yeah, no, it is interesting for sure. But yeah, it stuck <sighs> out to me. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Yeah. I want to talk about a couple of things that I didn't like visually about this movie. Okay. I know we're just kind of tearing this movie apart. Is, yeah, this our, is this our stinker? Which is funny because like we're tearing it apart, but I still, I mean, I liked it. So I feel like I'm Yeah, oddly, really... it was oddly enjoyable for yeah, the like, things like the problem that I, problems that I have with it. And yeah. these problems that you've raised that clearly <laughs> I didn't understand. Um, the sets, it's so odd. It's like they couldn't decide if they wanted this film to look like it was being done on a stage because it is a musical. Yeah. So you do equate this film with the theater. And they do have these moments where it, it looks fake. And you think, they're trying to make it look fake. Yeah. Like when they're all out at the very beginning of the film. And it's World War II. And they're you know in Europe somewhere amidst all the crumbling buildings. It's so painfully obvious that the background is a matte painting. <laughs> yeah. And that they're on the soundstage. And it's lit so poorly that you're yeah. like, they're just under some fluorescent lights. I mean... Probably incandescent, but it looks like you're under fluorescent lights right now. What is going on? Yeah. And then later there's a dance number that they do outside and there's like a windmill or a tower in the background. Also very clearly painted. Yeah. Actually, I think that's just a miniature tower that they have some perspective done on to make it look tall. But when they go from one angle of the tower to another angle, the <laughs> the position of the windows on the tower doesn't change to match the switch. Yeah. So it just there's some things in the background that you go, man, that looks really fake but then they end up at this the ski lodge which looks very good and very convincing and you're like oh it looks like they just they built a very good set for this and it looks like it's something that would exist in real life yeah but it's really it's odd they i feel like they needed to pick a tone and pick a feel and stick with it because the movie is all over the place yeah no it really is and i kept thinking too like we're talking about everything looking fake like there's one sequence where it's called like the best things happen while you're dancing and like vera ellen and danny k are dancing in it and they're great in it but like the whole thing it's like supposedly on like the back patio of the ski resort or whatever and they're like literally just like dancing on a gray stage basically and it's very fake and I feel like this movie, it makes it feel more old-fashioned because there's almost this understanding that makes you wonder if, like, the producers in general just thought, like, oh, let's just make these sets and, like, we'll just go with it. Audiences won't care. But it makes it feel outdated because you think about, like, the artistic innovations that Gene Kelly was doing with, like, Singing in the Rain and An American in Paris and, like, those sorts of movies, they utilize that artifice in a way that was really interesting. And so you have, like, this very modern touch with those movies and then this one comes a couple years later, but has this very, this very like old fashioned disposition that you saw a lot more in the decade before. So it feels 
a lot older than it is really, just because it uses a lot of these practices that were kind of going out of fashion at the time. Strong agree. <laughs> I keep making these like dramatic statements. I Very dramatic, but I think it's yeah. warranted. Yeah. You know, I think I think watching films like this is important because we can see and understand what makes a really good film really good. This movie has some really wonderful moments yeah. that are really great. I honestly, we talked at the beginning, I wouldn't call this a Christmas movie at all. Yeah. I wouldn't watch this movie on Christmas. Oh, I would. <laughs> I, I think I okay, have the best. I might put it on the background on Christmas, maybe. <laughs> but uh, I think it's important to watch movies like this because you can get an idea of what's being done really well now. Because mm-hmm. you can look at a film now that's trying to, of course, this is not a statement that applies to all film. There's certainly a lot of movies now that are making a lot of very problematic mistakes. Yeah. I mean, in like a stylistic design yeah. kind of choice, you can have a film that wants to go for artifice and look really fake and they can do it really well. You know, we can even do an old example. Listen to our episode on The Night of the Hunter. That's a crazy movie and it totally lives on artifice. Nothing in that movie looks real and it's wonderful because of it. It's like a mm-hmm. whole different world you go into. But I think I think it's very important to strike a tone and f- follow it and stick with it. I have an ongoing conversation that I have with one of my very close friends and he has this cool theory that I actually like and he says that dramatic and good films need to have a striking tonal change in the third act. Mm. And I think that's really interesting. I think you see this a lot in like, I don't know, kind of 80s movies, more action stuff. There will be some kind of dramatic change in tone. I'm trying to think of something that I've watched recently that I could compare this to. Oh, like, I'll just go Star Wars because it's easy for me. <laughs> um, the Empire Strikes Back, right? You go through the whole film and you go from the beginning where it's like white and snow and then you kind of end up on Dagobah where it's kind of more green, but it's the tone is not two changed it's at the very end when luke and darth vader finally face each other where everything turns orange and blue and it's like so dramatic and so peak there's no shift like that in this film yeah and i like i think that for the climax of this movie it is emotional and you do get that you they make the general happy and they do all of that but it looks the same as the rest of the movie they don't really make a stylistic choice to make you it's not it's not emotional enough i guess for me like i think that they could have had more twists and turns in this movie that would have made that payoff of them, you know, attaining that goal that they've been looking for for the the whole film mm-hmm. to be much more emotionally yeah. impactful. But I feel like too, yeah, it does have this for the most part a very predictable premise and I think so many of the movies, so many other like musicals at the time like would also have predictable premises but would also be really strong with their comedic output and so it would feel a lot fresher even though we were watching stuff we'd already seen and so because this one is I don't feel like it's super funny. Like, I think it tries, but the humor feels a little bit outdated. Like, might have been funny 60 years ago, but not really anymore. So I think maybe if it were a little sharper, I think I'd like it a little bit more. But it it just does feel very formulaic for the most part. Even though it does have these, like, visual splashes that are interesting. I don't feel like... I think if it weren't... If it didn't contain the song White Christmas and if it didn't have you know, these certain moments that are iconic, I don't think we'd really be talking about it that much. I think because it just has a couple iconic characteristics. That's why it has lasted. And because it is considered to be a Christmas movie and a lot of people watch it. That's why it stayed. But I feel like there are a lot of classics like that where they'll just like have one characteristic about it that makes it last. So I think this is definitely one example of that. I think maybe one of the reasons why I was off-put by so much of this movie is the very like pro-American undertone to it like yay army like we're gonna do all this stuff and like it just feels like a rah 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 us is the best and i think that perhaps our personal political leanings might have something to do with the fact that it wasn't our favorites (laughs) i mean i have to remember also that it is mid 1950s 
America and, you know, the the ideologies of the public were a lot different than they are now. But it does definitely feel like a very it's not an inclusive movie necessarily because it is very no like racial diversity, very old fashioned gender politics. Like even like there's one part in the movie where the sisters are kind of discussing how like their acts eventually going to have to come to an end, like after they get married, which like bugs me now because I feel like. It's irritating that you have to, like, give up a career to be a wife. Like, that's so messed up. But 60 years ago, that was, like, normal. But, like, you have that. You kind of have to just be nice to it in a way just because, like, that's how it was back then. But I think definitely as, like, a modern, more jaded viewer, there's a lot of things that that are I don't agree with. Well, I think that's about what I've got <laughs> in me. <laughs> yeah, no, we really, we really attacked that. We tore it that, apart. Even though we liked it. Well, I yeah, liked it. Yeah, interesting. Know it, but. No, I... I it's weird. It is. It is weird because I enjoyed it. Yeah. But there's. <laughs> yeah. I feel bad for enjoying it. Yeah. No. Me too. There's just so so much that's problematic. But I guess this is a movie that I can say I don't like as a viewer, but I enjoy as like a historian. You know. Yeah. No. It is interesting historically for sure because it does represent its time and place very well, and it does. I think it epitomizes both what American culture was going through. I think it also, it also like has this weird. It makes for this example of the transition in American cinema in the mid-50s of you're kind of getting away from these more old-fashioned things and then moving more toward modern. And, like, this is an example of the old-fashioned stuff. You can think about all the modern stuff that's, like, going on at the same time, but, like, just thinking about all those differences and how much stuff was changing. So it's interesting as an artifact for sure. All right, what's your – are we doing final thoughts? I was, are you ready? Yes, please. <laughs> cool. What's yours? What's mine? <laughs> My final thought is that I actually have to disagree with you a little bit about something you said earlier, and that's that I really enjoyed Rosemary Clooney in this movie. Mm. She is, you know, it is, everybody delivers kind of a flat performance, <laughs> but she has this really kind of comforting yeah, that's atmosphere. True. She seems like the most relatable, kind of nice character, and it seems like she really does struggle with the choices that she makes. Yeah. And I appreciate seeing that struggle, and I especially enjoy seeing like the morally tumultuous decisions that she has to go through as like a female character who's in a leading role at this time. Yeah. So I appreciate that a lot. And I thought, I thought she was great. So my final thought is if you're going to watch the movie for a performer, I think <laughs> it's her. Yeah. No, I actually kind of agree with what you're saying now. Cause I think I also just kind of didn't like her character because she is at the center of this conflict that I feel like is so drawn out. But at the same time, like you are right. She's such a, a warm character and she feels so much more plausible than a lot of these people that she's surrounded with so for the information that she does have from the strange eavesdropping phone conversation that she has let in on i think she makes the right decision yeah for sure um, i just wish she would like if she would have prodded check. and asked like hey is this true it would have made more sense in yeah. like a realistic movie <laughs> movie with um, a better running time <laughs> <laughs> this movie should have been an hour and a half long Honestly, and that's my final thought <laughs> retweet yeah that's my final thought also no just kidding i think this is kind of an overrated christmas movie i think a lot of it's a enjoyable and does a white christmas which is a great song and they really implement it well they use it at the beginning of the movie the end of the movie in ways that are pretty powerful to watch but i don't know i just think you're better off going on going on with like a different holiday classic this holiday season but yeah definitely interesting a lot of what it does but i think time hasn't been kind to it well should we do recommendations sure do you um, want to go first? With yeah, well? I'll go first. I have a feeling that you have holiday classics no. in there. No? No, because I thought you would, so I didn't. <laughs> okay, I can do holiday classics Great. because I actually forgot to write down recommendations. Oh, but I, ha- I was thinking about them when we were, when we were talking. Okay. Uh, we mentioned a couple already. 
I think if you want to watch a musical that has a dramatic tonal shift in the third act, like we were talking about, <laughs> we mentioned it earlier. You should watch Singing in the Rain. Yeah. I had the good fortune of watching singing, watching singing in the rain oh boy. for the first time last week. I had not seen it until last week, mm. and I loved it. I didn't expect to love it, but I super duper what? loved it. I really, really loved it. That the finale in that film is really fun. And some people might say it's a little bit long, but I think it's it's oh, pretty fun. Hell it's, no. it's very beautiful. You know, you you can't go wrong. No, you can't go wrong. I stand there. for that movie. I will fight anyone yeah, who doesn't like it's it. It's very fun, and that one's not too long. No. And that one is a good example of having a relatively cliched story that is dealt with very smartly. And it's a very good satire as well. So it's the good example of like the perfect musical comedy. And that film is also about Hollywood and the shift from old fashioned to yes. new fashion. The film is about moving from the silent era into the talkie era. Mm. Oh my gosh, this is a tangent. Have you seen that amazing, amazing YouTube video where the cast of SpongeBob dubs over old movies? No. Oh my heck? God. Okay. Ooh, I gotta Look, watch it. Please, our dear, dear listeners who have stuck with us for these few weeks now, <laughs> go into our description of this episode and I'll link the video there. It's a video of the cast of SpongeBob and they do voiceovers over Casablanca, Singing in the Rain, wow. and The Godfather. Wow. And it's, they're all just, there. It's, it's a perfect video. It's yeah. my favorite video. Video that's ever been made. Well, I feel like Lena Lamont in Singing in the Rain like sounds like a SpongeBob character anyway. So I'm curious. so you know the scene in Singing in the Rain where the the guy the director is telling her to talk into the yeah. mic, right? So <laughs> in uh, in the scene that they do for the SpongeBob, Patrick is doing her oh voice. So she, instead of having that high that's pitched grating voice, she has the deep <laughs> Patrick Star voice. It's oh, wonderful. I love it. So, so so my recommendations are Singing in the Rain and um, boy, I should think of something else holiday themed. <laughs> Um, well, I guess if you want some slapstick comedy, since we were talking about the character in uh, this movie, I guess watch Elf. <laughs> <laughs> Aiden, I don't, I don't know if listeners have heard of that movie before. Could I doubt you? it. I'm I doubt. Kidding. There's a really artful scene in Elf where Will Ferrell drinks an entire bottle of Coca-Cola oh my and God. burps for 30 seconds. I love God, that movie. There's so much about that that I. I just love that movie. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> that's actually, that's my rec. Love Watch it. Elf, man. <laughs> yeah, so I, I mean, I thought you were going to do holiday stuff, so I didn't go with that. <laughs> I went with better. Did you just go for VistaVision movies? I, you know, I think one of them might be VistaVision, but I'm not positive, so who knows. But I just went with, like, better musical comedies that were made during the era. So I briefly mentioned Gentlemen Prefer Blondes earlier, but... I think that Like Scene in the Rain is like the perfect musical comedy. It stars Marilyn Monroe and Jane Russell as a pair of gold diggers who they go on a cruise ship and basically just try to like win over rich men. And it's great. And I feel like the characters, like I was talking about gender politics in these movies are usually really messed up. Whereas I feel like this movie really respects Monroe and Russell's individuals and they really they don't condemn how hedonistic they are or how much they love materialism. And I love that about it. It does not, it celebrates these women so much. And also Monroe and Russell are so great in it. And that one's another example of, they use a lot of weird colors in its musical sequences, but they all look very cool and are very modern looking. So check that one out. I love that movie. I just watched it recently again. And I think I loved it more than when I saw it like four years ago. So check it out. And then, I also picked High Society, which is a 1956 musical reimagining of the Philadelphia story, which is 
a stage play. It's usually better known as this like screwball comedy with like Katherine Hepburn and James Stewart and Cary Grant. But this time it's with Grace Kelly, Bing Crosby, and Frank Sinatra, which having Frank Sinatra definitely helps since Bing Crosby is so boring. But that one is another really good example of really good comedy making a cliched premise seem a lot better. And that one is more enjoyable, definitely not as fat on when it comes to running time. So if you if you liked Bing Crosby somehow after watching this movie, maybe check that out as well. Or check it out instead. Whatever um, feels natural to you. Do you ever think we're too mean? No. Okay. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> All right. Anything else? No. No, I think that's I think, we, I think we did it. I want to thank everybody for listening. Thank you so much for hanging around. It's been so much fun to do this. This is our last episode for this year, for 2017. Next week, we'll be putting out an episode on January 1st. We have a special guest. We're really excited about that one. But yeah, I just want to say happy holidays to everybody. And if you, this is not meant to be like a Christmas. I mean, I, I guess if you were listening to the episode, you can tell we weren't super hyped on the movie. But this is not <laughs> supposed to be a rah, 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 go, 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 Christmas, Christmas, Christmas kind of episode. Well, so many um, repeated words. So many, so many repeated <laughs> words. But yeah, happy holidays. If you want to hear us talk more about holidays and holiday traditions, we just appeared on the podcast Home Plates. And we talk about kind of our personal traditions that we do. And we talk to the host, Dee Dee about her Hanukkah traditions. So if you want to get some some of the Jewish flavor over there, that's that's an option for you. If you want to hear more of us talking about movies, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Android, and on our website, uwpodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at The Filmcast, and you can find us on our personal accounts at Hayden Walkerow or at Blake W. Peterson. If you want to write to us with a suggestion for a movie or you want to share your thoughts with us, you can send us an email at cinemadventurepodcast at gmail.com. If you like the show, just share it with a friend and tell them about uh, what we talk about, I suppose. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, we're just trying to get the word out. If you want to follow along with us, next Monday we're going to be talking about the film Belly from 1998. Yes. Directed by Hype Williams, the music video director. And we have a special guest from the Say Less podcast join us for that. So go check out Say Less as well. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll see you next year. Yeah, have a great New Year's and things of that nature. (laughs) Okay. So enthusiastic. Love it. what drunk food is like in other places? My name is Dee Dee Madigan, host of the weekly podcast Home Plates, where I ask that question and many more. Each week, an international student joins me here in the studio to discuss their food culture. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday right here on the Soundbite Network. For more like this and other great shows covering sports, science, relationships, and the arts, visit the Soundbites website, uwpodcast.com. That's uwpodcast.com.